0: are listening to the manchester vineyard podcast we'd love for you to join us to discover more about who we are where we meet and how you can connect with us head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description Uh, my name is matty part of the team here Um, jesus makes this claim that i think was shocking at the time and is maybe even more difficult for us nowadays some of his followers were questioning him. Um, a lot of what I'm going to use are basically pulled out of the stories of Jesus' life, the gospel. So this is from um, the gospel of John. It's Enzo questioning him, and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Just think about that for a moment. Imagine we were having a coffee or something, and you were having a hard time. You were explaining to me, I just can't see a way forward. And I reached across the table, put my hand on your arm, and said, I'm the way. <laughs> what would your reaction be? I mean, probably that was weirder than it was funny. <laughs> but if you, if you did bother giving it a second thought, which you probably wouldn't, then you might think, first of all, Matty, if anyone knows the way, like the secret to human flourishing, it's definitely not you. That might be thought number one. But well, the second one would be, I think, a level of doubt about the fact that there even is our way, our best way to do this thing called being a human. And I think this doubt in many ways is actually quite new. People have been asking this question that Jesus is claiming to answer about, what is the good life? What is the best way to live for forever? You know, At least till ancient Greece, probably way before that. Um, and the reason most of those people were asking it was because they believed there actually was an answer. Um, but nowadays, a lot of people feel quite uncomfortable with the idea of ever saying, like, my way is better than your way or that's better than that. And whether we realize it or not, that's largely because in the West we've been profoundly influenced by a philosophy called postmodernism that sprung up at the end of the last, well, towards the second half of the last century. And we don't really need to go into it, and there's some good in it as well, actually. But the kind of net result is that there's a heightened level of distrust about truth claims, absolute truth claims, and authority in general. Instead, everything's relative, and everything's about the individual. And that filters into our everyday lives in phrases like, well, if it's right for you. I was uh, leading an after-school club session trying to convince the kids from the local area, at 42 Community Hub, which is just down the road. If you want to get involved, it's amazing. Um, but anyway, I was leading a session trying to convince them that friendships, investing in good friendships is really important. So I used the largest study ever into, into human happiness and flourishing. It was done by Harvard, started in 1938. It tracked 724 people, for their entire lives. There's 16 of them left, and they're all in the mid-90s. And since then, they've added another 1,300 descendants. So I thought I was on safe ground. Friendships. Look at this study. And this 11-year-old girl's response was, that's just your truth, sir. (laughs) I was like, oh, what do you say to that? And how did you? I didn't say that when I was 11. Things are changing. And the idea is that there's no best way to live. There's just 7 billion different ways. But as I've reflected on that, I can't think of a single person that I know who actually lives that way as though all different ways of living are equal. If all ways are equal, then why all the hate on the Internet if everyone's just choosing their own path to a, to a deeply rich and fulfilled life? <laughs> and why is it that we react so strongly to certain ideas or people, maybe ideas like fascism? You are like, if if Hitler was alive today and doing some of the awful things that he did, if he said, guys, it's just my truth. Would we all be like, well, to be fair, yeah, if it is your truth, I guess that's fine. I don't think we would. I think that most of us would say, yeah, there are better and worse ways to be human. And if that's the case, when we say better, compared to what? Perhaps there is a best way to be human. And if there is, in the words, there's a mind out there behind this thing that we call the universe, behind human life. Um, or in Einstein's words, uh, something more like a mind than anything else that we know, then that mind would definitely know what that answer was, wouldn't it? And that is basically Jesus' claim. I am that mind. And I'm telling you. Now, uh, if we were to try and investigate a claim, how on earth do you tell if this is for real, if it's any good? I think a really good thing we could say about anyone who's giving us advice is, well, does it work? First, does it actually have any kind of ring of truth to it? And second, um, if it does, then maybe it's worth actually taking it for a test drive. If Jesus' is cl- um, claimed to be something more than a man um, and to have a deeper insight into this stuff than anyone else ever is true, and then his advice and his teaching and living his life doesn't work, then we can definitely just ignore him, can't we? On the other hand, if he is who he claimed to be, then we should find that in every facet of human life, if we tried his way against a few others, his way would come out top every time. And that's actually exactly what he claims. Uh, Listen to this. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. Therefore, he's telling us a story at the end of one of his greatest teachings. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he wraps up with this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus' point was my way will work. When times get hard, which they inevitably will, if you build your life on me, you'll be okay. And if you have dismissed some of what I say is the the way to live, or maybe you've accepted it but done nothing with it, then it's not going to go quite as well. And this idea has really gotten hold of me. I'd be fairly confident in hazarding a guess that when it comes to a lot of your stuff, you don't have a lot of patience with things that don't work, right? And actually, understanding doesn't come into it that much when it comes to stuff, does it? I've got no idea how my car works. My um, driving shaft or some drive shaft, something broke the other day. Got no idea what it is, but I've got a new one now. Car works again. (laughs) Wi-Fi, hair straighteners, like no idea. But if it doesn't work, straight back to whoever sold me it, receipt in hand. Let's sort this out. I take meds every week. Not not a clue what they do, but they seem to work. (laughs) When it comes to the various ideas and the values that dictate how we live life. I think we often don't operate in quite the same way. And now that might be because it's actually a lot more difficult to work out if life isn't going quite right. I mean, life's complicated. Which, which idea is tripping me up? What's gone wrong there? It's not quite like taking your car off to the garage, is it? Although you could say that things like therapy and counseling, that's basically what we're trying to do, get to the bottom of whatever isn't quite working. So it might be harder to work this stuff out, but surely it's actually more important when it comes to our real lives to work out whether the ways that we're thinking and the decisions we're making are actually working for us. Having a car that doesn't work is inconvenient. Having Wi-Fi that doesn't work is awful. (laughs) But having a whole life that's not working for you is a lot worse. So what I want to do this morning is just really simple. I've, I've picked three narratives, if you like, three ideas that are knocking around our culture. And I reckon every single one of them will be a part of all of our lives, the ways that we're choosing to live to some extent or another. So I'm going to go through them, introduce them, and I just want you to think, how much space does to these things have in your life? And then two things, whatever your approach is to these things, is it working for you? And the second thing, is it working for the other people around you? And then I'm just going to return to each of them, and I'm going to say a little bit about what Jesus has to say about these things. And I'd love you to just keep an open mind. What do you think? And um, I'm kind of out, outing myself here. My shameless hope is that by the end of the morning, there'll be at least some of what you've heard about Jesus. Maybe all of it, where you're like, that, that could work, that is worth a try. And ultimately, with any way, you have to try it, don't you? So I don't want you to take my word for any of this. I'm just going to give you some thoughts. You see what you make of it. And perhaps you're already on this journey with Jesus. You're already like, yeah, Matt, I'm already brought in. But then again, my question would be, all right, What does it look like to increase the amount of reliance, the amount of actual doing of this stuff in your life? So first, the good way to live, the good life, needs more money and more stuff. Surely all of us have a little bit of that going on in our lives. The next thing, a bigger one, a better one. I think this is like as old as history, but it's definitely ramped up since the end of World War II in the West. A bunch of reasons for that. There was a deliberate shift by governments and, and by companies to try and move us away from just buying what we need to what we want. Um, modern advertising has made a difference. But part of it, I think, is this philosophical idea called materialism, the idea that only physical things exist. And if that's true, obviously not everyone believes it. I don't believe that. But probably more people believe it now in the West than ever before. And if that's true, then it makes sense. If that's all that exists, it makes sense to invest in them, doesn't it? And to try and get a fair bit of happiness out of them. Whatever you think of that, I don't think any of us are immune to it. You know, if I, if I could just get that pay rise, if I could just get on the housing ladder, if, you're on the, if I could just pay off the mortgage, for me, if I could just buy a new pair of Nike Mercurial Vapors to play in, and, you know, anyone who plays football, a bunch of us play football on a Monday, you're welcome. Um, probably thinking, Matt, no, no pair of football boots would, <laughs> would sort your game out, but I'd look good. <laughs> More... Can feel pretty good. So how much of this desire for more do you think should be a part of our lives? I met a guy on a stag do once a nice guy had a chat with him and he was like Matt I know people say money won't make you happy I'm telling you money will make me happy. That's quite ext- most people wouldn't maybe go that far but what, what do you think then? What's your approach and is it working for you? And is it working for those around you? Second one, the good way needs pleasure to be at the center. This one definitely resonates a bit too much for me. This desire to avoid pain and have pleasure instead. And life's hard. Um, Sue's prayed at this morning during worship. It does kind of feel like the world's a bit of a darker place. than you. I don't know when it happened, but that's just a sense that seems to be knocking around. And we deal with that in loads of different ways. But one is definitely escape to pleasure. We're better equipped than ever before, right? You can, I mean, more food, which that's my Achilles heel, more TV, YouTube, more sport, more gaming. You rarely need to go outside nowadays to even have all this stuff. Don't even need to leave your house. And it smacks a little bit of of the hedonists of ancient Greece, and, and they believe that only pleasure is really valuable. And again, I don't... I don't think many of us would go quite that far. Most of us could say, actually, something's being hard. Maybe there is a bit of value in that. Maybe it makes you stronger, something like that. But still, I think, generally, quite a lot of us are doing a pretty good job of chasing that next fix, whether it's that big trip you've been saving up for or just the next break where you can get 10 minutes on the toilet and play Candy Crush, (laughs) which I've never played in my life, by the way, for real. That just thought might resonate with, I don't know. Anyway, any of this resonate? Is it just me? what part of your way and your value system does this play and is it working for you third one the good way needs needs a romantic relationship we are fixated on them aren't we how many thousands of films books and tv shows are there where happiness is finding that person and having sex with them and our songs you know i'm sure there used to be songs about other stuff in the past maybe, but it doesn't seem like that anymore. I think if you took a sample on the radio, pretty much everything is like the relationship you're about to have or the one you're in or the one that you've broken over. And I reckon if if a a species from space found us, hopefully they'd be nice. And they took a sample of our music, 10 songs, took a sample of our films, 10 films, and they watched them and then we asked them, do you reckon it's possible to be a human and be single and happy? They'd probably be like, nah, probably not actually. Oh, I've gone one page too far. Bear with me. Oh, I'm missing a whole page. It's on the floor. That was a... Have I, am I missing a whole page? Oh, gosh, I'm in front of the mic. Guys, we're going to have to make it up. You did not expect this, did you? Someone's done me. Anyway. To do. The third way is that we need a romantic relationship. And... Um, let me just collect my thoughts. <laughs> Third ways that we need a romantic relationship. And, yeah, we all, we all chase that, don't we? Well, do you? How does that work for us to actually live as though that's true? Because it definitely is something that comes up um, a lot in culture. And So I just want to go through each of those things. I want to have another look at them and just present a little bit of what Jesus says about each. And I'd love you to just keep an open mind. What do you think? What do you think about Jesus' take on those things? Does it sound compelling? Does it sound like it's actually worth trying it out? Because I honestly believe if you you put a bit of weight on anything that Jesus says, anything he is, it will bear fruit. It will work for you. So let's start with the money piece, money and stuff. Money and stuff. It's important to clear up that Jesus never says money is inherently wrong or that nice things are either. Jesus' way doesn't... Reject the material world. Uh, In fact, the Bible says that when God created the world, he says, it's good. It's great. Let's just take two things he said about money and stuff and see what you think. How about this? It's more blessed to give than receive. Ever heard that one? You might not even have known that that was Jesus. It was. As a kid, I honestly didn't believe it. I'd be like, yeah, whatever, mom. I know what Christmas morning feels like. If you've ever received a Lego aquamarine base, they don't sell it anymore, but I've got it, minus a few pieces. It's pretty great to receive, friends. <laughs> it is. So if you'd asked me as a kid, you know, is Jesus right? Is it more blessed to give than receive? I would have been like, no, it's not. But of course, he's not actually saying that, that in the moment of being generous, you'll immediately feel this overwhelming, wonderful feeling. What he's saying is it's more blessed. So what does that mean, blessed, blessing? The Greek word we translate as blessing is about God's favor. And the idea is, is of being fully satisfied. So what he's saying is that over time, if you become someone who is generous and gives readily, then you'll live more satisfied than if you don't. If he's right, then it should be the case that it would be possible for someone to live that way. I'm trying to think of an extreme example. You're like a Mother Teresa, let's say, the late Mother Teresa, and for that person to potentially be happier, in fact, they would be, they'd be likely to be happier than someone who had received or earned an awful lot, like an Elon Musk or something like that. Now, we can't test that, can we? But does it sound plausible? Does it sound like it might be true? And of course, if Jesus is right, then it will work not, not better just for us, but for everyone else around us. And I think that is an absolute no-brainer. According to the UN For instance, just taking one example, there are 2 billion people in the world who don't have access to clean water. I was talking to a nurse on Friday who gets deployed all over the world. Ukraine, next up she's going to Gaza. And she was saying being back in the UK is hard. And it gets harder every time because people will complain about things like A&E waiting times. So I'm not saying, I mean, I've been in A recently, it's not fun. But not too long ago she was in Malawi and on a daily basis people would be carrying dead children in who died because of waterborne illnesses that are completely preventable. What difference could it make if just the people in this room, even, all left a little bit more convinced that it is, in fact, going to be a better and more satisfying way to live if we were to give more instead of focusing on receiving more? What difference could we make? So what do you think? Maybe generosity is a massive part of how you live right now. That's amazing. Maybe it's something that you haven't put an awful lot of weight on. Is it worth a try? Could it work for you? How about this from Jesus? This is the second thing I'm going to bring up. I mean, he says so much. We could, yeah. Do you want to do the long version? Three hours? I'm kidding. I haven't got, I mean, I lost page seven, didn't I? So let's not try the long version. Um, How about this from Jesus? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Hmm. Don't worry about where your food's going to come from. Don't worry about how you're going to pay your bills, if you're putting my stuff first. Does that sound possible? But before we write it off as pie in the sky, imagine what it would feel like to live with no anxiety about money. That'd be cool. Surely that's worth a try just to see. What if it worked? I think actually a lot of people are trying exactly that. What they're trying to do is live with less anxiety about money. But the the, the normal way we go about it is we earn as much as we can. And then the idea is if we get enough, then we won't have anxiety about money. But the big problem is how much is enough? And of course, if you get to that magic figure, I don't know what it is for you, then it may well have shifted because now you've got to keep hold of it. John Rockefeller, who was one of the richest men who ever lived, um, famously was asked how much money was enough. And he said, just a little bit more. Jesus' approach is completely different. Seek first God's kingdom. He says, live sold out for the things that God cares about. If you're not sure what those are, have a read of Jesus' life. Get one of the Gospels out. Live that way and then just stop worrying. Trust him. It's quite a different approach. And honestly, there's loads of stuff that I've got to grow so much more in, and this too, but I think God's shown me in my experience how true this can be. I remember when I was offered a job, um, actually in this church, for two days a week, and at the time I was um, in another job, which was better paid than I'd ever been in my life. So Rihanna and I, my wife, we we were chatting about it and praying about it, and we felt like, okay, we think this is actually what God's saying. We think we should do it. It is the better thing to do. But when we did the sums, we worked out that we were going to be over a grand short every month of our outgoings. So I wasn't thrilled. You would have thought, ministry opportunity. I was not a happy bunny. And um, I could, yeah. There's so many things that came out of that season. We went on in the end for about two years after we said yes to that opportunity with a great amount of worry, by the way really, really worried. We went on for about two years, which is way longer than we thought, with our outgoings by far exceeding what was reliably coming in every month until it circumstances changed. And honestly, we were fine every month. I couldn't even tell you how. Like The peop- money would come out of nowhere. Someone gave us a car. Someone else gave us a car. We were given a laptop when we needed one. One of my favorite stories, which was just amazing is that we were um at the end of a small group night and that week we we needed some extra bits and bobs we'd written down the list rihanna had priced them up and it came to 242 pounds which obviously we didn't have um and so we just prayed about it and left it and then that week at small group they mentioned small groups earlier not for this reason although it'd be cool if it happened but do go to a small group they are phenomenal we had such a great group but there was a card left at the end and we opened the card, and there was a message, and it says, I've had the number 242 in my, in my head all week, and I've got no idea what it means. But then I prayed about it, and I think it might be an amount of money, and I think God wants me to give it to you, so the, here's 242 quid. Wild. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to say, even with all the crazy provision that God gave us, that, it still took me ages to stop worrying. But by the end of two years, and we've been back in and out of seasons like that since, based on whatever we think God's saying. At the end of two years, I had so little anxiety about money. Actually way less than when I'd earned a lot more. So look, that's just my experience. I know that money is scary. Uh, I'm not suggesting that people just go around quitting well-paid jobs. You've all got to quit. That's not at all what I'm saying. I quit because I felt led to. It wasn't just done on a whim. But if you're willing to take this on board and dip your toe in, what would it look like to put your trust in him instead of just your own incapacity what would that do to how you feel about cash and then how might that affect other people would that work for the people around you what about if we were just a little bit more convinced that god had our backs would you maybe do something that right now you're holding off would you give up that one day a week to volunteer for the cause that you're really passionate about or the amount of food poverty and child poverty in this area, you know, the, the food banks, we've got, you will have walked past it on the way in the 422 pantry that we have. Would you end up just putting a bit more in your shopping bag? Because you know what, can we have, I think it's his stuff. I think we'll be okay. It's just a thought. So it's more blessed to give than receive. Do not worry. Seek first the kingdom and you'll be given all these things as well. How about them? Either of those worth trying and putting a little bit of weight on this week. Next up, pleasure, chasing pleasure. First off, Jesus definitely isn't anti-pleasure. No way. The Bible's filled with kind of narratives around feasting and it's fine to enjoy a bit of good wine and Jesus went to parties and all that good stuff. God didn't need to make food so great. Uh, He didn't need to make the colors so beautiful. It's clear that pleasure has its place in his way, but it's not top. When Jesus was asked what the two greatest commandments are for human life, the two things he put his finger on are this. He said, love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. They're one and two, so pleasure. It's actually, there's no number three. Pleasure's not on there. And as with all Jesus' teachings, they're not meant to be like hard. They're not meant to be, it's just him, him informing us, Look, this is the way I've made the world, this is what will work. It's the way I've made you, this is what will work. It's like any good parent, no, you can't, if, you can't have ice cream every time eat your veg. And again, does chasing pleasure actually work? I'd say avoiding pain and chasing fun were, were a huge part of my childhood, my teens, my uni days, well into my mid-twenties. And if you'd asked me if I was happy, I would have been like 100%. Extroverted, loads of friends. I mean, I thought I had loads of friends. I don't know if they thought they were my friends. Um, went out a lot, had a great time. And at about 26, um, I gradually became aware that there was this deep-lying anxiety I'd been carrying around, and some other stuff came up in my life as well. Um, And what I realized, basically, this whole thing of, are you happy? I don't know how you'd answer that question. I realized that's really broad. When I said I was happy, what I meant is I was entertained and I was busy. If you'd rephrased it and said, are you content? How's your joy? I don't even know what I'd have said to that. Maybe some of you resonate, but it gradually dawned on me that this focus on self-gratification wasn't really scratching the itch. I don't know what it would be for you, but, you know, that, that binge of the TV program that you love or the fifth plate at the Chinese buffet or um, squeezing in that extra um, city break on a weekend the Chinese buffet is my one, by the way. These are all, the rest are all for you. I'm, I'm guessing what your lives are like. City breaks, anyone? Um, extra hour on the PlayStation? And what I realized is afterwards, in my experience anyway, I don't know if you resonate, things are pretty much the same as they were before. You did the thing. No deep sigh of satisfaction. And sure enough, um, it's been as I've become more serious about exploring Jesus' way, about those two things. What's my relationship with God like? And what are my relationships with people like that things have changed for me? I've tried all sorts, you know, talking to God more, prayer. um, Tried fasting Tried investing more in friendships and being more intentional in being vulnerable. And kind of giving more of myself rather than just trying to be funny. Um, trying <laughs> to be funny. Um, really taking my time chewing over the Bible more, especially the Gospels, Jesus' life. Um, and one that's absolutely taken me by surprise that I love um, as an extrovert is just sitting in silence. Inviting the Holy Spirit, sitting in a comfy chair and just letting God's peace descend. It's one of my absolute favorite things. I don't do enough. And it's really interesting. Um, Some of those things, I'd say, are now actually genuinely enjoyable to me. Some of them I'm still acquiring the appetite for, if you want to put it that way. Um, Fasting, for instance. But I'm keeping going because it's satisfying something in a way that no amount of YouTube and Ferrero Rocher will. And I have tried going very extreme on both of those. They're nice in small doses, they just can't do a lot about anxiety or emptiness or that need to please people. And if Jesus is right and we are deeply wired to reach beyond ourselves, to have a deep and meaningful relationship with the Father in heaven and with lots of other people as well, if that's true, then if things aren't working in our lives, then one more trip to the the cinema or one more glass of wine wouldn't work, would it? What do you think? And again, how does, it, how does it work for the people around us if we do live that way? I became a parent 10 months ago. I absolutely love it. Little Hannah is gorgeous. Um, but she has trashed my life. <laughs> she is hard work. And, um, and all that stuff about just doing what you want when you want to, it's just gone the way of the dodo. But if I just thought, you know what, pleasure first. I'll just, they can be on the back burner and I'm going to do what I want. It would be such bad news for little Hannah And for Rihanna. I mean, Rihanna wouldn't let it happen. She'd be like, Matt, pull your socks up. But an adult who can't, in Jesus' word, put loving a neighbor above what they want in the moment isn't pretty, is it? It's not good news for family or friends or colleagues. For Jesus, again, pleasure isn't bad. It is good. But if you seek it first, then you just lose out. It doesn't work. And so does everyone else around you. So what do you say? about learning to relate to and love God above having a good time. Have you actually tried relating to God? This might be brand new, I don't know. Maybe it's brand new to you. There's actually a course that's running um, tomorrow night called Alpha. It's amazing. It's a small group of people around a meal for six weeks chatting about Jesus. What do you think? What did he say? Honestly, if you haven't given it a shot, if you're not sure what you think about Jesus... I can't recommend it highly enough, and it's not too late to sign up. If you're busy tomorrow, just start week two. Start the week after. And what about seriously trying to, rather than just looking after our own needs, start putting other people first? Maybe you're already amazing at that. Anyway, the last one, finally, romantic relationships. That focus on romantic relationships. Well, again, they are good, unsurprisingly. a Bit of a theme here. Right at the beginning of the Bible, uh, if you've read the Bible, in Genesis, God makes Adam. He's naked, and he puts him in a garden, and then he makes Eve. She's naked. He puts her in a garden, and then he says, multiply. So we all know what that means, don't we? If <laughs> someone just said, what? <laughs> I'm not spelling it out for you. Talk to your mom um, or your dad. But uh, Whatever, move on. Um, if, if there is a God, a designer then sexual and romantic relationships were a part of the design. And there's plenty in the Bible about doing romantic relationships well, about uh, the value of marriage, about how to treat each other all sorts. So in Jesus' way, if you're in a healthy romantic relationship, great. If you want one, great. But on the other hand, Jesus was single and he was celibate. And he's the one who's saying, I'm the way to be human. So romantic relationships can't be as important as I think our culture tells us that they are. In Jesus' way, the order that we prioritize things is massive. You know, a good thing can actually become a bad thing for us if we put a weight of expectation on it that it just can't bear. And putting romantic relationships at number one is just putting too much pressure on one other person to make you happy and to make you complete. What happens when it turns out that person is, in fact, just a person a lot like you, and they're flawed too? I'm married to Rihanna. I love her to bits. She's absolutely wonderful. She's my best friend. She has not fixed my life. If you've got deeper, wider challenges before getting into a relationship, which I'm guessing we all do, whether it's to do with mental health or how we relate to God or the role that stuff plays in our lives, whatever it might be, that relationship isn't going to be able to fix it. And on top of that, if we get too absorbed in romantic relationships, often everyone else suffers as well. I don't know if you've ever had a friend who, when they got really into a relationship, they just dropped you, and everyone else around them. And then two years later, came back when they broke up. It's like, where have you been, mate? (laughs) Does anyone know the Britney Spears song, Born to Make You Happy, track five on her first album? Just talking about lyrics and you know how we—it's the best song on the album. Um, "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time" was higher in the chart, but this is the best song. But um, but the, the chorus um, goes something. Oh, do I? No, I'm not going to sing it. Um, oh, um, oh, it goes "Always and forever, you and me." Oh, put your hand. Up. That's the way our life should be. I don't know how to live without your love. I was born to make you happy. She, she does a much better job. This is I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I, um, it came with a poster. It's, like a complete, it's not anything inappropriate. It just came with a poster. Um, and as a little lad, I had that under my pillow every night because mum wouldn't let me put it on the wall and it didn't last very long because if you put something under your pillow, it just gets trashed, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, anyway, good album. Um, but I was born to make you happy. That's probably not unusual, really, is it, when it comes to lyrics at the moment? No, you weren't, Brittany. And whoever you're singing to, they weren't born to make you happy. According to Jesus, this is what we're born for. It's back to that same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second thing is, love your neighbor as yourself. We were born to be in relationship with God and with lots of other people, not just one. Let's start with God. Why would you invest in loving someone that you can't see? Jesus' invitation is to enter a relationship with God because it's the best thing for you. Because he loves you more than anyone else and he'll always, always be with you. No matter who else disappoints us, hurts us, leaves us, or even at some point dies, which will happen to all of us. If we build our lives around God and a relationship with him, he is forever. It's building on a rock. And the reason that it's such a good idea is Just the person we're investing in is so good. Just after he'd made the claim about being the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus goes on to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've actually seen what God is like, what his character is like. And what do we see when we see Jesus? We see someone who loved the world, who loved you and me so much that he was willing to go to the cross. And the the message of Christianity essentially is that everything we've ever Done wrong, Jesus took on himself and took to the grave. But not just that, it's a life swap, really. It's like, look, I took your stuff. If you want, you can have mine. I'll start to live inside your life, if you want it, if you invite me in. That's a crazy deal. When you, if you go away and read the gospel, if you haven't, or if you have, just read it again. Jesus is phenomenal. And if you've seen him, you've seen what God is like. Have you ever actually tried talking to God? Met loads of people in this room will have, of course, but maybe you haven't. What have you got to lose? Don't, don't take my word for it. When I was about 21, I was at a crossroads. I was kind of doing the God thing a little bit. I was also doing an awful lot of other things as well. And I was like, I just need to properly try this out. I need to pray. I need to read my, I need to do. and if there's something in it, I'll live for it. And if there isn't, I'm walking away. And for me, I've never looked back. It's been phenomenal. Building your life on relationship with God, in my experience, is the best thing I've ever done. And then, of course, there's the second part, isn't there? Love your neighbor. Jesus made it clear that when, he, uh, that when he said neighbor, he didn't just mean a few people. He meant everyone that God sends our way. If we make it our mission to love the people that God puts in our way, not just that one special someone, then we're going to end up with all sorts of different relationships, aren't we? We're going to end up with some really deep friendships. We're going to end up with friendships where we get on really well, but maybe don't see each other as much. We're going to end up with people who mean a lot to us, people who rely on us, all sorts. And guess what? You know that Harvard study I mentioned at the beginning? After tracking with 724 people for 85 years and then adding a load more since, the findings are absolutely conclusive that the single biggest thing that determines happiness, health, and even long life is deep, meaningful relationships, plural. In fact, um, your relational health at 50 is a way better indicator of what your uh, health will be like and your happiness at 80 than loads of the medical markers like blood pressure and cholesterol. Loving people, investing in relationships works for us. And it's investing in perhaps the only thing that can always get better over time. Your body won't. Your finances might or might not. But relationships can just get better and better and better. So your, your romantic relationship, the one you have, or maybe the one you want, would you consider not only investing in that, but above and beyond that, investing in your relationship with God and investing in real deep friendships, investing in people who are in need, investing in colleagues, even if it's small beginnings, what does that look like for you? Do you think that's worth a try? Does it sound like Jesus is onto something here? If you're in the room and you still haven't really made up your mind about Jesus, I'm just coming into land here. What do you think? And are you willing to do more than just think about it and actually give him a try? I'd encourage you do it. Something like Alpha, like six Monday nights across a lifespan. What's that? (laughs) I still come across things in Jesus that I don't fully understand. But I press on because everything that I've really tried, and the more I've tried it, the more alive I've become. And I don't want to stop. The whole point of this talk is don't take my word for it. Mm. So, yeah would love you to give it a shot. And maybe you're in this room and you already have some kind of relationship with Jesus. You've decided, yeah, I think he is actually the person who's got the best take on what the way to be human is. Are there ways that you can be changing and shifting how you put your weight on him to come even more in line with how he actually lived? I want to just say, lean in. His way only works if we actually walk on it. Gandhi said, Gandhi, what guy, you Christians Look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it's nothing more than a piece of literature. Studying a map doesn't mean you're on the trail. We're invited by Jesus to put weight on him, to seek him, to try him. He's not worried he's not insecure, go on, give me a go. And when we don't, I think we're the ones that lose out. So how about it? Guys, would you stand? We're going to pray together and wait for God. This might be a little bit uh, unusual for some of you if you're quite new to this church thing, but we're just going to make a bit of space. If God is real, then he wants to meet us if God is real, then he's here. So do whatever feels comfortable to you. Many people close their eyes. You might want to put your hands out. Whatever whatever works for you, but we're just going to leave a bit of silence. And I'm just going to invite God. Father, I know you're here. (laughs) Jesus, Holy Spirit, you're here. I just ask that you would move among us. Hmm. Whether we feel like we know you well, whether we're not even sure you exist. <laughs> Would you come? Come and be with us. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.